Welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan. Hello there. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We are in a brand new sermon series called Summer on the Mount. We are finished with the Beatitudes, although the Sermon on the Mount is built from the Beatitudes and extends from the Beatitudes, but we are here in Summer on the Mount with the first sermon being Salt and Light from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Pastor Evan, take it away. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, what was your main point from this sermon on the Sermon on the Mount today? Yeah, in every situation, believers are responsible for visibly standing out through their good works, resulting in the world seeing our actions and giving glory to God. And that found its expression in three points. Number one, to provide a distinct, distinct influence to the world, to produce a noticeable presence, and three, to properly understand the purpose of good works. If we're going we're gonna to make sure that we're visibly standing out in our life through our good works to give glory to God, we need to understand those three points. Well, to help understand those three points, mm-hmm. uh, point number one, provide a distinct influence to the world. Uh, how do uh, how do our salty lives pr- prevent decay and corruption and provide a distinct flavor and zest to the world? If we're thinking about being salt and being distinct, we got to recognize what salt does. We talked about that a bit in the sermon, but I want you to think about its application uh, in our world, even as we're talking to our life group leaders. It's just all the ways in which our lives prevent decay through our witness. I think about... I mean, every gospel conversation that you have uh, by default takes place of uh, alternative conversation you could be having that is not going to be as pleasing, is not going to be as, uh, uh, is not going to be as preventative in the decay and corruption going on. I mean, you can't have any more pure uh, and uh, salty conversation than a gospel conversation. So we got to make sure that, you know, as we look at the application and the practical things that we're doing, everything that you do in line with obedience to Christ in our world is going to prevent decay and corruption. Not that we're here to stop it, right? I mean, we're not going to stop decay and corruption because we believe that's part of God's redemptive plan for history, that things are going to progressively get worse and worse until Christ comes back and restores all things. So you may ask, well, why do we prevent decay and corruption if that's God's will? Uh, Because God's will is that his reign be displayed through his church here in the present age. And uh, the most distinctive way that God's reign is displayed in this current age is through his church being very distinct through submitting to the rule and reign of God here on earth in the midst of the rest of the world, not submitting to the rule and reign of God in Christ. And so that is means that everything you do uh, serves uh, to accomplish the will of God for his a holy priesthood, right? His called out people, his uh, his people for his own possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who had called us out of darkness and into his wondrous light. Everything you do 
in line with obedience to Christ prevents decay and corruption too, right? As a as a result that shows people the reign of God here on earth and points people to the reality of the existence of God and his desire for mankind, and it at the end of the day gives glory to God. So you understand, preventing decay and corruption isn't to keep the world from decaying and corrupting, but is to, in the midst of a decay and corrupting world, allows God's reign to be evident and visible to a world that is decaying. And one example, uh, Compass, we found in 1 Corinthians seven thirteen through 16, where Paul explains this exact fact within marriages. You know, during the early church, a lot of Christians, and especially the Gentile Christians, were getting saved out of, out of pagan households. But one spouse was a Christian and the other wasn't. And what did Paul say? Well, if uh, any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of their husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, this isn't does not mean that you save your kids. You impute any... By acting right. By acting yeah. right, you yeah. impute any righteousness from you to them. No, what you do is by living a salty life, prevent them from living unclean lives as you strive to get the family to church or right. to read the Bible instead of watching whatever, you're helping them not sin as much as they could in hopes that God uses you to lead them to salvation. Right, and that's what it is. So it says that you, how do you know whether you will save your husband or husband whether you would save your wife? And so you are, by being salt and light, preventing further decay and corruption in their life because you're going to be leading them to do more godly things than they would without you. Uh, and how do you know that you won't actually also lead them to Christ? And I think that's also important uh, to note that, you know, why do we want non-Christians who may never come to Christ to come to church? Because you're preventing further decay and corruption in their life. They could be doing much more corruptive and decay-worthy things other than come to church, right? But they're not. Like, so we are in a real way preventing further decay in society by inviting all manner of people to church to hear the gospel, because not only are they seeing the reign of God on earth, uh, they're also ch- being a part of that versus going and doing whatever else they want to do. So you need to think about that. Even the fact that you invite people to church who will never come to Christ, you're still living a salty life and preventing decay and corruption. And furthermore, what's really cool is that we actually are seeing this played out in reality oh, within yeah. our church where families now are getting saved. It took one one person, one spouse, one one child, and all of a sudden spouses are getting saved. Right. Children are getting saved. But and so it's we see this that people living salty lives in their family, God is using that to save people. Absolutely. Um all right, so point number two is to produce a noticeable presence. Well, what is there what are some simple ways I can think through how I can be a light in public? This one, uh, this is a good question, and I I know I covered it in length in the sermon, but one, uh, I think one theme of application or or one vein of application would be recognizing the need to take opportunities in public to uh, be a light, you know, uh, to be the light to the public. Uh, because I know, go be the light, go do all these things, and you're, are you, you're a light as you are going, right? And that's like, you know, go make disciples, go is that uh, participle, that means as you are going. So yes, you, you are a light as you are going, but I think a, a helpful distinction here 
is whether it's in your workplace or in the city or your community, uh, to take some chances on some opportunities uh, on in the public square uh, to make a noticeable presence because of your faith. Uh, I'll give you an example that Pastor Evan and I had recently done is by going to the mayor's prayer breakfast. Uh, and uh, if you're in, you know, Christendom, as far as like, uh, as far as you, if you're in the vocation of being in ministry, you would uh, recognize something like that and define it as an ecumenical gathering, okay? And an ecumenical gathering means that there's just a whole lot of people from a whole lot of different faith backgrounds uh, that are coming together uh, to try to to try to cooperate enough to do something valuable and profitable. Well, it's not hard to think about an ecumenical event and recognize that it is hit or miss uh, because uh, oftentimes ecumenical gatherings are based on the lowest common denominator that every faith group there could agree on, which sometimes, and sometimes not even, but sometimes the lowest common denominator that we can all agree on is that God exists. Well, that's not going to be a super-duper fruitful prayer breakfast if the only thing we can agree on is that God exists. Um, and so Pastor Evan and I were invited to go, uh, and one of us were invited to pray. Uh, and It wasn't me. Oh Yeah, well, yeah, I ended up praying. But, you know, it was a chance that we were like, you know, we can go into the public square, uh, into these faith groups, and uh, go to this event. And we don't know if it's going to be great, if it's going to be bad. Uh, we invited some of our men to our, with our church to go with us, and... At the end of the day, you know, I would get up there, and, and here's, what, here's what the thought was in my head. I don't know how the rest of this thing is going to go, but there is one prayer uh, that I know that I'm going to pray and that people will hear that will, I pray will accurately represent the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Scripture, the God of the universe, and that if, if there's one thing at this event that will point people to Christ and be a light, it's at least that prayer. Now, I will be the first to tell you that I was pleasantly surprised with this whole, with the whole marriage prayer breakfast. Uh, I mean, maybe not the whole thing, but at least the prayer parts. I mean, the prayers were great. The prayers were great. I thought the closing prayer was great. The closing prayer was great. I thought there were pastors there that did a wonderful job praying. And I, I was just, I was amazed, but it was still a chance that we took to say, Ooh, okay, it's a place in the public square uh, that we're saying, I'm going to make myself publicly known uh, and have a position and a stance that I'm praying, and the prayers were about righteousness, which is was the theme for the uh, National Day of Prayer this year. And my whole prayer was a prayer that we be uh, made righteous in Christ, which is what we are for Christians, that anybody would be if they weren't, right? In Christ, they would be righteous. That we would be empowered to produce righteousness through the Holy Spirit, and that would produce righteous works in our lives, and that we would pray in righteousness, that our prayers would be heard and answered according to the will of God. Well, that's a distinct prayer that you're just not going to hear outside of Bible literate or Bible uh, teaching groups of people. Uh, and so that being said, I know that sometimes when we commit to doing something, we know that's going to be distinct, and, and I want to encourage you, take opportunities and chances to do that, whether it's at work, whether you're invited to do something at a business lunch, or a brunch, or, or a, uh, a networking event, uh, or mom, mom uh, at a, you know, your school's mom's prayer thing. And maybe if your, your school doesn't have a mom's prayer day, make a mom's prayer day. I mean, those are all examples that I can think of of making a noticeable presence in the community uh, as light and as salt. 
All right, which leads right now and right into point number three, properly understand the purpose of good works. Well, Pastor Hayden, as God calls us to good works, clearly through Scripture, and we might even and do that later, how can we ensure that our good works are being done to glorify God rather than to esteem ourselves in the sight of others that Matthew 6, 1 warns about, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them? How can we ensure that we're doing it for God and not for us? Yeah, I mean, as we were kind of uh, batting this question back and forth earlier in our last podcast, you know, I just, what really came to my mind was the, just the absolute evil of somebody claiming that they're doing something for God when they're doing it for themselves. I'm like, what an absolute evidence of idolatry of the worst kind that you pretend to esteem God while you lift up yourself. And that's a great condemnation that Jesus does give in Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. For what reason? Not, and I want you to see this, because if you just stop right there, that sounds really uh, contradictive to what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 5. But listen here, when in in verse 1 of chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. I mean, that's, that's that's the crux of it right there. In order to be seen by them, your job is not to be. Your job isn't to do good things in order to be seen by people and applauded by people for your own glory. But as you see there in Matthew chapter thirteen or five verses thirteen through sixteen, uh, is there is a real need for people to see our good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so for me, as I'm looking at this question uh, and making sure our good works are done to glorify God, it's like, number one, how evil a person to claim they're doing something for God when they're doing it for themselves. Uh, And in my, I mean, think about how evil it would be for your pastors to get up behind the pulpit and and, and to say, I'm up here to give glory to God, but I'm really up there to be noticed by people. I want to get. I want to be a great orator. I want you to, to give me applause. I want you to pay attention to me as I'm up there. And how wicked is that for me to try to deceive people into thinking that I'm up there for God when I'm up there for myself? And God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God's gonna know these things. And as a matter of fact, you're not gonna you're not gonna fool people for very long, for that matter, if that's what you're there for. I mean, people are gonna recognize that you're there for your own glory. Uh, and not for God, and it may take some time, but they're going to recognize. Uh, but God recognizes immediately, and he gives a warning there and a promise that you've received your reward in full, if that's how you want to live, if you want to make it about you. Uh, but you aren't you aren't receiving anything from God. Don't expect to receive anything from God when you make things about yourself. We use the example in Acts about Ananias and Sapphira, right, who uh, them themselves had sold their property like so many other people did, right? And, I, and that's, I think, really the you know, the the story and, and the I guess the palpable reality that this is something that really happened, that they saw other people selling their stuff and giving it away, and they thought, well, people really like those people who are doing that. Like, wow, people think those are like solid Christians. So they go and they sell their land, and they give part of the proceeds to the disciples and lay it at their feet, but they had said that they gave all the proceeds to uh, to the church, but they didn't. They lied because just like other people, we're being noticed and receiving or giving glory to God through their obedience. Ananias and Sapphira said, instead, we want to look like we're trying to give glory to God. We want to be noticed by other people, and we want to take the we want to take the the 
the praise and the glory and the honor. And as a matter of fact, uh, the proof of that in their heart was they even kept some back for themselves. So they wanted honor from people and they wanted the gold that they had made from the sale of their property. So you can just see the evil realities of their deception. Uh, and I believe Peter says, you done, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And then they, they died. They dropped dead. So that's just a great example of that being played out. It's like that doesn't go well for, for anybody who would claim to be a Christian and yet do things for their own glory. And so for you, it's you need to check your heart and, you know, and recognize also that good works are not optional. I mean, I just really like if we can understand that, which we've talked about it plenty in the sermon and up to this point, like your good works are so much a part of your faith, so integral to the faith of the Christian. Everything after justification is, is, is wound up in our faithful obedience to do good works here on earth. Now, you are not going to work your way to salvation. You're not going to work your way to justification. You None of your works had anything to do with your justification. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved because uh, God has revealed to you your sin. You turn from your sin and you place your trust in Christ through faith. That is it. But once you are saved from your justification, your whole sanctification is in the line of good works. And we talked about this in the last podcast, Ephesians 2.10, one I talked about in church, where you were uh, the Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that mm-hmm. he prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. We opened up Titus, which says over and over again. Over and over. Prepare for good works. Prepare for good works. Uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14. Essentially, God has brought salvation for all people to train us to renounce all of our sin, to look forward to the hope to come. Verse 14, who gave himself for for us to redeem us, to change us, to save us for all, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for Good work. And that's verse 11, right? Verse 14. Verse 14. Well, verse 7 says, we need to show ourselves in all respects to be a model of good, good works. works. And we talked about in another letter to Timothy, he talks about the sufficiency of Scripture. It's all breathed out by God. For what? The, the man of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every, every good, good work. work. But you go back to the letter to Titus, go to chapter 3, verse 8, and it says that all those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Good works. And then we gonna, why don't we go to Titus 3, 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good, good works. works. I mean, over and over and over. The New Testament is just chock full of the principle of our job as salt and light to do good works. And I'm going to tell you that any gospel that's preached to you that doesn't include after salvation, that our lives are to bear fruit and bear good works is not an accurate representation of the gospel, right? And what I mean by gospel is I mean the whole gospel. Like you are saved by faith. You're saved by Christ through faith. And you are saved not as a work of yourself. It is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. And that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to produce good works in your life. Right? That is that is that is the gospel plus the response equals salvation plus 
good works, right? That's the right equation that we look at here. And it's asking God and the Holy Spirit to help you do these good works. And here's, I'd like to do a little quick quick thought exercise for, oh, for, for us it. so that it was like, why? Why, is God, why does God care so much about good works? Well, you need to change your definition of what good works is. You might think good works as what you think is good, what society thinks is good. You need to submit to what God says is good. Because why did he give the law? And he actually mentioned this in your sermon, to reflect the character of God. And so when we follow God's law, what are we doing? Reflecting, reflecting who God character. is. Right. But that's the whole purpose. Because in Genesis 127, what is the purpose? We, we're created in whose image? God's image. We're supposed to reflect who he is and his character and his desires and his actions. And God commanded Adam and Eve to have dominion over the, over the earth and the animals of the earth why? To represent his dominion over the universe. They're supposed to represent him as priests in the in the uh, creation in the beginning. So they were created to do good works to reflect who God is because God is good. Now they fell. They disobeyed. They didn't do God's good works. Really, they tainted, they corrupted God's image. And now it, the corruption is up to this day where even though we are still in the image of God, we don't live out the image of God. We don't we don't reflect who God is in his fruit of the spirit. Rather, we reflect the fruit of the flesh. So what does God have to do? He has to redeem us. And that's the work of Christ that we see through scripture, the, the cross and the empty tomb, and also the work of the spirit to to change our hearts, to give us a new life when we repent and trust in, trust in Christ. He gives us a new heart. He redeems us. He has us become born again as a new creation so that we can actually reflect who God is. So the good works are not about you in the first place. The good works are to reflect God in you for the world to see and to worship him. Right. And and go back to those um, those equations, those gospel equations that that show us the place of good works. Like you remember, like here's it's, it's here's not, here's an unbiblical equation that is not a gospel equation. This is not a biblical gospel. The gospel plus a response plus good works equals salvation. Right? That's not biblical. That's wrong. That that's a false gospel. That's a gospel of works. Okay. However, here is a biblical gospel. My, the gospel message of Jesus Christ plus a response, my response of repentance and faith, that equals salvation. Now that I have salvation, then my life has good works. Right? There's your biblical response. No one's going to preach to you or should preach to you. Uh, it won't happen at Compass. Is any gospel that is gospel plus response plus good works equals salvation. But what you're going to hear preach is the biblical gospel that includes after one is saved that their life is marked by good works and good fruit. Amen. All right. All right. Well, Compass, we have some application questions. Pastor Hayden, what are some uh, thoughts for us as we wrap up this podcast with the application questions? Yeah, I mean, these are going to be really, uh, I believe, potent and helpful questions for you to get to the nuts and bolts of, uh, of good works and being salt and being light as a Christian. And I believe that this is going to help you uh, really put some hands and feet uh, on your faith as you are living, uh, you know, out this week and going forward. Uh, I think the second question, right, you're going to read Second Corinthians, you're going to read Colossians 4, and it's going to say whether your life serves to prevent or slow the decay of others or to add a distinct biblical flavor in the world, how do both of these results of being salt point people to their need for Christ? I love that question because it helps you recognize that you what you're doing in every single moment of your life uh, if, if you're being salt and being light, is you're pointing people to their need for Christ. And a lot of that is just by showing 
the world that Christ reigns in your life, that God does reign. Christ reigns to the right hand of the Father, and there's a day where he's coming to reign on earth, and he's already doing that uh, in uh, his kingdom outpost called the local church. Uh, and you go to uh, the question number five. Uh, it says, how do these verses, that is 1 Peter 2 and Colossians 3, along with our main text, Matthew 5, show you that good works, when understood correctly, are not merely an optional add-on to your faith, but a necessary part of faithfully following Christ. I mean, I think this whole text shows us that Christ uh, says, you want to follow me, you've got to be salt, you've got to be light, because that's who a follower is. And that is so that people see your life and your good works and they glorify God. And as we talk about over and over again, that's the goal. I mean, we talked about it even today uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It was to say that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I mean, everything we do, being salt and being light glorifies God. And it's part of the whole foundation of the existence of humans to give glory to God through what we do. So many more questions there, but I think those are really going to be helpful for you this week. All right, Pastor Hayden, we have several announcements, I think eight of them. So do you want to rapid yep. fire and Here we go. compass? If you need to rehear the announcements, circle back, go half speed, and you'll catch up. Or just go to the website. That too. Child dedications round two, or Father's Day, June 18th. I believe we still have a couple of slots open. If you'd like to have your children dedicated, don't delay and sign up for that today. <laughs> Women's Fellowship on Saturday, May 27th from 9 to 11 a.m. It's going to be a unique women's fellowship. There's not going to be a sermon recap. There's going to be a devotional. You're going to have breakfast. You gals are going to play games and exercise fellowship in some unique ways. And so I want you to invite any of the gals who you know uh, who would uh, not only enjoy that but would benefit from being in relationship to other women. We have our prayer night the very next day, May 28th from 5 to 6.30 p.m., where we are going to exercise our fifth distinctive, that is that we have a genuine reliance on prayer. So join us there for that. Our move up weekend for Compass Kids and Compass students is coming up on the week of June 4th through June 7th. And so from uh, really birth till our young adult or college age group, everyone's moving up. So if you're a 12th grade student graduating, you're going to move up to our college age life group on Tuesday nights. Uh, from uh, really birth till fifth grade, everyone's going to move up their next grade on June. Uh, the fourth, and on uh, that Wednesday, the fifth grade is going into sixth grade, will move out of Compass Kids into Compass Students. So make sure uh, you know the day in which your child or student uh, or young adult is moving, and make sure you, number one, celebrate the reality that God is growing our church, not only spiritually, but also just in the maturity of their life stages, and that we want to make sure you know when and where your children are moving from there. So keep in mind, uh, move up weekend. We have our summer kids camps uh, registration in full swing. You can learn more at compasshillcountry.org slash kids. You should register for all three of our camps. You can find more information about that online. Our student revival summer D now is up and coming. The theme is the kingdom of heaven. The date is July 27th through July 30th and registrations open. Find out more online. Register your students today for our stay-at-home summer revival where they'll have host homes. We're going to do a lot of fun things around the community. And more importantly than anything, we are going to preach the Word of God to the students. Uh, last two announcements, Exploring Compass, the next session is June 4th and 11th. So if you've not gone through Exploring Compass, you, you want to serve at our church, you want to have this place, your home church, you need to go through Exploring Compass 
and baptism services. We have, we're having a lot of baptism services because we have a lot of people being saved. And our Praise next the Lord. One, praise the Lord. Our next one is July the 23rd. If you need to be baptized, don't wait. Don't delay. If you're looking for a sign, here's your sign. It's called, As We Make Disciples, We Baptize Them. That's the commitment. So if you're a disciple of Christ, you need to be baptized if you haven't been. So go ahead and do that. And then last but not least, our next podcast is on its way. Our weekly DBR Spotlight podcast will be recorded right after the end of this podcast. And I wanted to point you to our Spotify podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube for our daily Bible reading spotlight hosted by Pastor Evan. Until next time, we'll see you then. 